0: The Jam Session Radio Hour. This I'm your host, John Landis. I mean, this is part two tonight of a, a two-part interview that we've done with Bill O'Connell. Last week we did part one. Part two coming up tonight. Bill, uh, if you weren't with us last week, is a great piano player, someone who's played a lot with a Jam Session over the years, probably thirty or forty times. Has some great thoughts about that. And has some great thoughts about uh, music business and the jazz business and what it means to him and what it means to musicians and what it will mean to come back out of the shadows and play uh, uh, live again. Um, Bill's career has mostly, has to a large degree, been in Latin jazz, Afro-Cuban jazz, and he's built himself quite a niche there. He's played with all kinds of great players, uh, as you heard last week, and as you heard, will hear this week. He's played with Dave Valentin, played with him for years, mango Santa Maria, um, played with a number of vocalists, currently teaches at, <clears throat> at Rutgers. Um, and uh, uh, just an all-around wonderful guy, wonderful representative of jazz music. So stay with us tonight. Listen to this interview, part two of our interview with Bill O'Connell.
1: The relationship between a pianist and a vocalist is when it's right is really a beautiful thing. It's a different kind of connection, different, we feel each other's music come Providing a harmonic background, but it's a two-way street. When it's really right, the vocalist is inspiring me. I'm inspiring the vocalist, and it's re- it's something I enjoy, and it's something that I look at as being rare to have that kind of relationship. You know, and not so not so different than the relationship I had with Dave Valentine. I played with him for 35 years, and we did many recordings on GRP and other labels. When you meet musicians that you really hook up with that's special just like you meet someone in life that you really hook up with yeah yeah yeah
0: totally that's really cool um uh, back to the jam session for a second because i you know i've had this experience where you know somebody will show up a vocalist or someone who sings or think they can sing now that's (laughs) obviously very different than what you're talking about, but you have been there some nights, I'm sure when somebody just like, Hey, I want to, you know, sing a tune. And Clay is like, you know, okay, uh, you can do this. Um, so (laughs) that's, that's a different kind of experience. But what, one of the things I I've noticed with, you know, players is, is they're, they're not too necessarily eager for that to happen in a jam session context.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it really it really depends upon the musician and it depends upon the singer. Sure. I mean, if the singer is, you know, more and more nowadays, singers, I think, are really realizing they have to be and want to be musicians as well as singers. You think? Uh, that was a great thing about the singers that I mentioned. I worked with John, Kenny, Rankin, and, uh, you know, Jack. They were really musician type singers. They really right. knew the music. Right. Um, that really makes a difference. And for example, like uh, Olivia. Olivia. Yeah, Olivia yeah. She's she's great. Uh-huh. I mean, and she uh, clearly has a lot of she she knows music. So so she's it was a pleasure really accompanying her and meeting her there. Uh, so you know. Have I had my share of singers that, you know, you gotta you hit and miss,
0: sure <laughs> like you absolutely. do in anything
1: in life. Yeah. So there have been some interesting encounters along the way, also. But uh, that's life. With your
0: um, with your composing, um, there have been compositions you've worked on clearly that, that have voice, right?
1: Yes, there have. There have most of most of the time I'm writing the music, but I do occasionally branch out into that. And, and in those,
0: in those yeah. occasions, do you write the lyrics yourself?
1: or? Uh, sometimes, sometimes I have just been known to write mm-hmm. a lyric or a little phrase here and there. Um, occasionally, I'll reach out to somebody. I wrote, I wrote a tune once on one of Monk's uh, uh, compositions called Reflections, mm-hmm. a beautiful ballad that Monk wrote. And somebody wanted to record it. Unfortunately... They went to the Monk estate and uh, it had already been recorded with a different set of lyrics. Hmm. So they they said, you can't do it, which Hmm. bummed me out. But Hmm. that's the way life goes sometimes. But I I do not really consider myself a lyricist of any kind, but uh, occasionally I will try to stretch out in that direction
0: well tell uh this is fascinating to me because tell me how like when you 've worked with a lyricist or how people work how musicians like yourself work with lyricists you're a piano player so right. um that's that's something that a lot of piano players would do how does that work
1: well i've always felt like and this is me i 've always felt like the music comes first before the lyric everybody doesn't usually everybody doesn 't work that way but for me i've I've always uh, it's easier for me to conceive of lyrics once I've written the tune I hear Elton John and his writing partner write the other way mm-hmm. and they're extremely successful so <laughs> <You're right. laughs> you know but it's not, it's not something I've done a lot of but I do understand the power of, of, of lyrics and the power of the human voice um.
2: Preparado of misery myself seem to be I'd like to change my destiny and find peace within you. This is Bill O'Connell
0: on the piano. You're listening to WLIW FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. Also heard at WLIW.org slash radio. Uh, this is the Jam Session Radio Hour, and we're featuring tonight an interview of piano player Bill O'Connell. Are there, um, so are there lyricists out there? Like if you, if you, If you played it, well, uh, it's a double-barreled question. One, talk about how lyricists out there as a profession and then also how a tune will strike you uh, to take you in a particular, like if I was a lyricist and you'd say, John, you know, this is what I was thinking about when when I wrote this tune. I was thinking about like, you know, riding down an old ruddy road in a a farm or something. Um, Like, will you plant that idea and and then talk about the profession of Yeah, I mean, I
1: have a... I mean, I haven't had that many things recorded with lyrics, but I did. Uh, there is one tune, in fact, that I that we did with Baba uh, Israel and that band that I wrote lyrics with. I think Myra Casales sang. She was a percussionist. Yeah. And I wrote lyrics with her, or she okay. actually wrote the lyrics. I think it's called Dreams something or other. Yeah. There's Dreams in the title. And uh, I, I might have suggested that dream something is something in here. And she just went off and did something. Okay. Yeah. uh, I think we have a recording
0: of that. Um, Right. You know, we definitely have a recording of
1: that. So it's not something I do a lot of, but I am aware of it.
0: Well, when, uh, will you, when you're, when you're writing a tune, do you have a, uh, like a a vision that's outside the music sometimes that drives the tune?
1: Mm -hmm. You know, everything is, you know, I believe music is out there to be discovered. And that probably makes me get up in the morning as much as anything. Like, when, what's the next tune I'm going to find? Inspiration can be when I sit down at the piano and I just start playing. It could be when I'm walking down the street and I'm just humming since a melody comes to my head. It could be a rhythm. It could be an event. Uh, when 9-11 happened, I... I didn't touch the piano for like three or four days after it. I was so devastated as well as everyone else was. And then then I sat down and I played this song uh, called uh, When the Dust Settles. Hmm. And that's what came out. And that, I don't always know where a song comes from, but that particular song I... I knew exactly where it came from. So I, I put that on, on my uh, record called Latin jazz fantasy. And then, I, in 2011 I had a trip to Moscow where I brought a band over there and, uh, I played a solo version in Tchaikovsky hall, which is a, like their Lincoln center. And, uh, they happened to record that. And I put that out as a single,
0: Please continue to listen with us to WLIW FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. For this evening, the Jam Session Radio Hours interview of Latin jazz pianist Bill O'Connell. What has, um, you know, so we've gone through this whole period of covid and we're now kind of coming out of it and looking forward to coming out of it. How has that changed things for you in, in terms of your music? Have, what have you done?
1: Well, I mean, it's forced us all to become, to go inside a little bit, inside of ourselves a little bit. Um, so, and I, you know, I haven't been playing out as much. So it's, 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 it's definitely made me think about a few things about my relationship to the whole scene, um, I actually view myself as one of the luckier musicians to weather this storm we're calling COVID, uh, because I had, uh, you know, I still had the teaching job at Rutgers and I write music. So I have some income there. A lot of guys don't have that. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys, women, uh, jazz players, it's been a tough go you know, yeah. this last year, and so I consider myself on the luckier side. But as far as just in general, I think it's 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 a turning inward a little bit, and that's mm-hmm. you know not necessarily a bad thing. A step, you know, it forced everybody to step back a little bit from the just hey, where am I going to get the next gig or let's try to do this, try to it's it slowed things down a little bit. But of course, I'm ready for things to rev up a little bit. Sure, <laughs> at sure. this point.
0: Talk for a second um, about uh, uh, how the music business has changed for you as a a professional.
1: It has changed a lot over the years. I have looked at my life in music and I I always looked at it this way. Uh, I'm a player and I'm a composer and I'm an educator. I always expected to be doing all three and I'm not necessarily in that order because I think really my first love was composition. Over the years, what we've seen uh, as a composer, music for the composer has somewhat been devalued. Years in my early part of my career, I made a substantial, you know, I made, I made a better living, or I wouldn't say a better living, but I made money that really mattered in my career uh, writing music. I still do, but it's not the same because we have Spotify, we have every every piece of music that's ever written been written at your fingertips. Uh, musicians aren't really getting paid, I think, what they should be for that, the composers and even the players. So that's changed the equation a little bit. Uh, it hasn't eliminated the, the incentive to write, the, the financial incentive to write, but it's changed it. In terms of playing... And uh, you know, I, I've 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 achieved a lot of the things I wanted to, but I still have a lot more to achieve in terms of playing and traveling throughout the world and sharing my music with the jazz public at large.
0: Thanks for staying with us at WLIW FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash radio, uh, Long Island's only NPR radio station. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour. You're listening to an interview of Bill O'Connell. Uh, so tell us more about the, um, what got you into that whole vein of, of Latin jazz. Cause that's really, you know, obviously a big part of your career.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I'm an O'Connell in name, but maybe a Latino in heart. You know, <laughs> uh, I, uh, it was it, you know I'm a New York person. Being in New York in the '70s, the Latin scene and the Latin jazz scene were really vibrant. You know, the, a lot of clubs. I'd see these clubs and people dancing, and the, you know, it was it was just great music and great vibes. Anyway, I didn't know this music. I didn't grow up with it. So a trumpet player friend of mine, a guy named Steve Gutman, uh, who ended up, I think being musical director by, uh, for Blood, Sweat and Tears among, amongst other things. He uh, said he was playing with a Latin band and they needed a pianist. So he said, Bill, why don't you come down? I went down to like some funky area of, the, of Brooklyn. Now Brooklyn is all beautiful, but this was like sort of taking my life into my hands. But I went down into a, a basement somewhere and rehearse with this band happened to have a great bass player a guy named John Henry Robinson, who could just get me started on the very rudiments of, of playing in a band. And from then the guys in the band loved the way I soloed over this stuff because I'm a jazz soloist, but I didn't really know how to do the accompaniment. And, and I, you know, it was new to me. It was all new to me. I totally learned on the fly. Hmm. And uh, so I played in this band. People think Mongo was my, first Latin jazz experience, it wasn't. I had been playing with Latin bands in New York uh, for like maybe two years before I got the gig with Mongo. And that was it. I was hooked. I was hooked and I was you know, I'm sort of surprised that more I mean, a lot of American quote American uh, non-Latino horn players seem to be into the Latin jazz thing. Not as many rhythm section players. Mm -hmm. uh, But I was hooked and, you know, it became a big part of my professional life and a big part of my expressive life uh, in music.
0: Listen to WLIW-FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. Uh, This is the Jam Session Radio Hour, and we're featuring tonight an interview of piano player Bill O'Connell.
1: I've achieved a lot of the things I wanted to, but I still have a lot more to achieve in terms of playing and traveling throughout the world and sharing my music with the jazz public at large. Um, And then of course, doing the educational part at Rutgers, that's been great for the last 10 years. And that's, but that came, as I said, it came at the right time uh, in my life when I wasn't traveling as much. So now I still do, you know, when, when before COVID hit, uh, I was still traveling around the world and doing things as well as doing things locally. I don't think the music scene has gotten any easier for younger musicians or older musicians for that matter. There are more of us, maybe less gigs. uh, But Hey, it never was easy. Mm -hmm. The reason you do this is because you love it and you have the passion for it. And you probably can't do anything else because this is what makes life worth living for you, you know, playing music.
0: Do you find with your students uh, that, um, I mean, what's, what's their attitude about the, do they have this attitude that the, the business is tough to get into? Or, I mean, do you school them in that direction? Um, or you can just kind of tell what student is going to have, you know, that passion?
1: I th- you know, I like to think, I don't want to put any limits on any student I have. Obviously, I have some that come into the program and they're really talented and you can see it. Uh, You know, everybody's got to go in with their eyes open. It's not an easy career choice. Uh, Yet people do succeed in it and people will succeed in it, you know, in having a musical career. So it's really about their drive, their passion, their ability to network the opportunities that come along. Uh, and as an educator, all I try to do is prepare them as best as I can to create the best music that they're capable of creating and to be ready for, for situations that'll come along professionally so that they'll succeed. Yeah. But um, they're up against it. It's, it's not easy, especially with COVID happening. I mean, I, uh, you know, some of the most talented people to come through our program, they're doing other things right now to make a living because they have to. There aren't any, you know, gigs uh, right now. Right. You know. Right. Um, So, it's tough. Yeah.
0: Um, We got to finish up, but I had, I want to give you an opportunity to to tell us anything else you want to, but I, I also, are there any, like in the city these days, obviously it's been closed down, but before it happened and after now COVID's going to be over, are there any clubs or places that like for the Latin music that you like to play or that you've been playing that you would recommend or, you know, cause I think that's always interesting to
1: the audience. It's uh, it's it's tough. I mean, the music I play, I, listen, I'm a jazz player. So even my bent on Latin jazz is going to be, it's going to be for the jazz clubs for the most part. Right. Uh, but you know, I had been playing in Birdland. So Birdland still survived. Mm-hmm. I had been doing occasional gigs at the Jazz Standard. The Jazz mm-hmm. Standard has yeah. not survived this. It's not. Uh I hope uh the, the Jazz Standard will resurface somewhere. I hope some there will be new venues coming about. Uh it's, it's a bold, brave new world we're looking at. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure how it's all gonna fly uh moving forward, but as long as this spirit is there, I think there have to be, there has to be uh, venues for us to uh, express ourselves. So let's hope New York comes back strong.
0: Yeah. And let's hope we can uh, keep uh, things happening in the Hamptons as well. Right.
1: Absolutely. Which is going to uh,
0: be a place, hopefully, that we'll hear more and more music. Well, Bill, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to throw in there for, for all of us? Um, Uh, I know I've hit some stuff, but uh, please.
1: No, we've we've covered a lot. I appreciate the opportunity. You know, uh, i just say we, you know, uh, I love it out in the Hamptons. I love it out in Montauk. Uh, It's a beautiful place in the world to be. Everyone who's out there, I think, is very fortunate. Uh, I love bringing music out there. Of course, I love bringing music just about anywhere in the world, but, (laughs) but it's, it's really nice to to get it going out there and uh, hopefully we'll be doing that this summer.
0: Well, I recommend uh, Bill's recorded material to all of you guys. And certainly once we start playing again, um, you know, you're going to come out to hear the jam session. And on one of those nights, since Bill's played with us like something like 30 or 40 times, he'll sure be back a lot. And, uh, and that's a real treat. So Bill, thank you so much. Um, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, John.
0: if you just joined us we've carried uh, for years uh, a series of live music and lately we've been Know, doing some interviews because we haven't been able to do any live music during the uh, period of the pandemic. So what we've done is we've we've interviewed a lot of local musicians, some of the local musicians who've played with the jam session over the years and that's been an extraordinary experience for me. Uh, and we've also incorporated some interviews that we've kind of poached by permission from uh, the NYU Steinhardt School online YouTube series of jazz interviews. People like Tom Scott, Mike Mineri, Peter Erskine, John McLaughlin, uh, those have been really, really um, uh, extraordinarily good. And we've, al- we've also done some local stuff. We've interviewed Bill O'Connell and um, Bill Goldstein and, and uh, his, his uh, accomplice, Jorge Pardo. Um, we've interviewed uh, Baba Israel, uh, who's a, a rapper. We did him. We, we've interviewed Ada Ravati, sax player, uh, Morris Goldberg, people who've played regularly with a jam session over time. Uh, so that's been great. But what we're what we're going to begin doing on May 9th is uh, getting back to some live music, uh, which is really, really a privilege for us. And we want to thank Bay Street Theater because they're allowing us to use their lobby to record without an audience a series of jam sessions, concerts. Um, and we'll bring those to you, uh, again, starting May 9th. So we've got some live music coming up. Um, the first night, May 9th, will be... Uh, has already, it's already in the in the tank. Uh, we did it this past Sunday in April, and uh, it's a great night. Great musicians: uh, Greg Lewis on organ, who's played a lot with the, with a jam when we were, um, especially at Ed's Lobster Bar and um, and uh, uh, other venues. Otto Ravati um, on saxophone uh, that night. Perry Smith on guitar, and Taru Alexander on drums. All really excellent musicians. So stay tuned in the future. Uh, uh, keep with us the Jam Session Radio Hour. Um, keep coming back, and we're very happy that we can begin to bring you some live music again, and hopefully that'll continue into the future. And these are all available on podcast. The podcast you can access on uh, WLIW uh, on their website, WLIW.org. And you can access them also on other uh, platforms. And we were able to podcast most of the interviews, all the interviews that I've uh, mentioned, and we'll continue to podcast more music to you so you can hear it uh, on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock, but also uh, access some of the podcasts of past music that we've done. And there's a lot on there on the on the site. We want to thank those who've been involved in making this production, Silvana Monasterius, for the use of his theme, Tropical Mirage. Uh, and uh, Fernando Valladares for helping us choose music Rafael Alvarez for his great his great um, acumen in the uh, engineering field he's put together the post-production on all of this work and for Claire Brandall, the music director of the Jam Session um, so thank you for the Jam Session Radio Hour this is your host John Landis asking you to stay safe and uh, please be with us again next week when we bring you another in this great series of interviews or live music. Uh, The Jam Session Radio Hour is signing off, and good night.